I gotta tell you, I love it when life is easy. <laughs> There's a bright golden haze on the meadow, right? The corn is as high as an elephant's eye, and everything's going my way. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that maybe you're into that whole scene as well. Ah, but then there's real life, right? And real life is hard. And I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you, but I'm guessing you might already know that as well. And that's the bummer of it all. But good news, my misfit friends. We are not here to bum you out, but to offer you some good news even in the midst of hard stuff, because today our special guest is all about encouraging you, yes, you, with some hope in the hard places. In fact, that happens to be the name of a book she wrote. And let me tell you a little bit about this she, okay? According to her bio, she loves coffee, green chili, right? Or no, I'm sorry. Is it green chili? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Golf and the Wisconsin Badgers. And she's been featured on the 700 Club, TBN, Hillsong, among others. And her name is Sarah Beckman. So let me give you a very warm welcome to the Isle of Misfits, Sarah Beckman. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I am so glad that you're here, and I just got to talk to you a little bit about one of your loves before we move on, um, this whole Wisconsin Badgers thing. <laughs> so, t- tell me a little bit about that. Yes, well, I grew up in Wisconsin and then went to the University of Wisconsin, which is the Badgers, and they're in the Big Ten. You know, they play Michigan and Michigan State and Ohio State and all those big teams, and I met my husband there. So we are co-badgers and really funny. I actually was the homecoming queen. <gasps> the homecoming queen. I am talking to the homecoming queen. That might be a right. first here on the Isle of Misfits. Well, and it's so funny because if you knew me, I'm so not like, that is just not, nothing about me would say like homecoming queen. <laughs> That's okay. I'm still going to bask in this moment. So let me just have that. Yeah. Right. That so is pretty funny. cool. Well, yes. I love it. Okay. So. Since you know so much about the Wisconsin Badgers being the homecoming queen and all, this should be easier for you. Moments ago, I asked you, as I ask all of my guests, if they would be willing to play a stupid game with me. Yeah. And you, you did it. You said yes. So there's no turning back now. That's right. Okay. All right. So your stupid game, I custom make them for each guest. guest Perfect. Have you know. And yours is all about the Wisconsin Badgers. So it's going to be short. It's going to be sweet. It's one question, multiple choice. So you have a one in three chance of getting it right. All right. All right. You ready? I am. Okay. Here you go. Here is your question. What does head coach Bert Bilema? I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Bilema. Bilema. There you go. Oh, she already knows. So she's, she's got this ace. What does... Bert Bielema, the head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, have tattooed on his left calf. Is it a Hawkeye, a Badger, or a wedge of cheese? Oh, well, so first of all, um, Brett Bielema isn't the Badgers football coach anymore. Oh, must be an old website I went to. Yes, it's an old one. And he actually is the coach for the Arkansas, I don't know what their name is. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah. All right, I am. I yeah, know. I am. No, I love that. So I, I honestly don't know, but my guess 
is, if I remember right, like he did come from another team. And so I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes. And you know what, Sarah Beckman? You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Hawkeye. It was not a, I thought I'd throw you with the badger. And, of course, the wedge of cheese is just. Yes, yes, I love it. No, that's such a good thing. Oh, I was kind of panicking. I had a feeling it might have to do with the head coach. And then I'm like, okay, bad, basketball was Bo Ryan. Now it's Greg Bard. You know, I'm just, like, putting myself through the ropes here. Well, and you could have said anything, and to me, you would have been right, because yes. what do I know? But, you know, the Internet, as we know, never lies, even That's though right. sometimes it's dated information. So I love it. Well, so you, good. You did excellent. Uh, wonderful good. I job. I my worth as the homecoming queen. Congratulations. So here's the thing. What I didn't tell you is there's an actual prize for this. And I used to, this used to be an empty promise. I used to promise uh, Isle of Misfits t-shirts to my okay. guests. And um, while I don't have t-shirts, I do have a mug that will be coming your way. All right. Of the Isle of Misfits. So congratulations. Yes. Thank you. You are so welcome and well done. So now, now we've earned the right to move along to the real purpose of our discussion here. So you are all about loving people well. Uh, that's kind of what I've heard about you. So, yeah, in fact, you wrote another book prior to this one called Alongside. So um, talk a little bit about that. So this whole loving people well, I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but where where did the, where'd that come from? Oh, such a great question. And, you know, it's hard to distill your mission down into that nice little fancy sentence that goes on a website. Right, right, right. <laughs> right, and everyone wants you to be able to encapsulate what you do. And no matter how many times I've tried to change or switch or enhance, it really always does boil down to this loving well. And uh, so when I, when my kids were little, I was pregnant with my third child and I went on bed rest. And I was on bed rest for 11 weeks. And then not long after, when she was a year and a half, born healthy, yay, God, everything turned out fine. Um, I ended up having four back surgeries in six years. And then wow. I also walked with three really close family friends and a neighbor. Um, so a fam like a family member, a really close friend and a neighbor um, walked through terminal illness with three different people in three years. And mm. I call that our decade of hardship. Uh, but what I learned was really twofold. I learned each side of that experience. I learned what it was like to receive help when you really need it and don't want it. And then that helped me figure out how to help people better that really needed it mm -hmm. um, to try and remove sort of the, the, the things that stand in the way, you know, the, the, um, I can't think of the word right now, but just the barriers, you know, like, right? barrier. Uh, that's yeah, what I do. Yeah, it began with a B. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and, yeah. and so that was, and, and I, I always dreamed I'd write a book. I have a crazy history, family story. I thought that would be the first book that I wrote, but it absolutely was not. I have an outline for it and everything, but it is still not what God's asked me to write. And so the first book became this mission to help other people learn how to love better in these really hard situations. Hmm. And I just kept thinking that we can do better than, you know, losing friendships because we don't know what to say. So we say nothing at all right. or overstepping our bounds or just, you know, like walking in like a bull in a china shop and taking over or just, you know, there's just so many ways that people are hurt saying the wrong thing. And it's not intentional. Like we come from a place of genuine intentions to do something to help our friend, 
to alleviate right. the burden, yeah. to to make things better. But most of the time, it's either the people that just have been there before that know how to do it really well. But I just felt like we could all be trained and taught that we, we don't just get to take a hall pass on God's commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't get to just say, oh, I'm not good at that. Sorry. So Yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said, actually, about receiving help, because that's the training ground, right? We learn yes. how to do, you know, e- even to be in a position to re- to receive it is probably the greatest skill enhancement. It's like, oh, yeah, yes. now I know what to do because I've been through this. Yeah. And so I tried to take that, what I learned, and I interviewed like hundreds of people and asked what was helpful and what was not helpful when you were in the middle of your trial, whatever it might be. And it didn't matter whether it was divorce or cancer or loss of a child or, you know, death of a loved one or, um, you know, name anything, addiction, husbands, wayward. I mean, you name it, people kept saying the exact same answers. And so that, yeah, that was how the book was born because it, it basically became chapters because people agreed with it so resoundingly. Okay, so... People kept saying the exact same answers, which makes sense because even though we all have different hard places, right. uh, they often have you know the same root. Which, this is hard. Um, so, what were what were some of those answers that you got? So, in alongside um, some of those answers were things like just show up, you know, don't stay away from me, mm-hmm. um, and then also like don't ask me what you can do for me. Because that's what people most often say, tell me what I can do or let me know what I can do to help or, you know, and then what happens then is when we say that we put the burden squarely on the person in trial. Right, right. Yes. You know what? I, I do this and I know better because I know what you're saying is true, but it's like, we need, we need to be reminded of that. And yeah, there's reasons I think why I, I know in my head, the reasons why I do it, but why, why do you think people do that? I think we do it because in our heart we want to do something, but it's easiest to just say, let me know. Instead of pausing and taking time and being intentional and taking like an extra two or three minutes to think about what it actually is we could offer and then making a specific offer. So I think it has to do with our culture and the busyness and sort of the overbooked nature of our lives. And, and the, also that in, at, our, at the root of it, I mean, sadly, I'm just a truth speaker, but I think we're selfish. Mm. <laughs> so, no, you yeah, know, no. part of it is yeah, that not I, don't, I, I don't really want to help, but if I say this, it's going to look like I want to. Yeah, I get the cred. Yeah, yes, the cred for totally, totally. All right, so I'm going to be, I'll be honest right back at you. I think there, there definitely is some truth in that. It's like, oh, I hope they say no, but... There is also a part, and this I am being sincere here, and maybe this is just me, although I don't know, maybe not. There is a part of me that I just hate to impose on people. I get afraid of, like you said earlier, overstepping my bounds. Yeah, so if I offer something specific or if I say, like, well, what if it's not helpful? Or what if, you know, I just, I don't want to impose upon them. Or, you know, it speaks to that fear of, oh, maybe I'll say or do the wrong thing. So yeah. rather than take that risk, I'll, I'll play it safe. Yeah. yeah spot on. 
That is exactly, I mean, there's like three or four reasons why we wouldn't do something. You know, it fear or, um, you know, just a lack of confidence is exactly what it is, that we don't have the confidence to know that what we're doing is something they want or need, and so we just stay back because we feel like we're imposing. But if you are on the other side of the coin, imagine what it would be like if no one's imposing. I know. And the thing is, I have been on the other side of the yes. coin. And I know what you're saying is true because I just, I don't care even if you say something stupid. It goes back to your first point. Show up. That right. I appreciate that more than anything. You can show up and say something stupid. You still get credit for showing up, you know, and it's not right. about credit, but it's like, I, I appreciate that more than I know how to express. Yes. So that's really the heart of Alongside. The whole book is filled with practical ways so that you do have the confidence again, so that you know exactly, and it's literally written in a way that there's 15 chapters that are all actions you can take to love someone in their trial. And some of them are based on the relationship level that you have with someone. So if you're super close, like, a, and I use a tier system, like as in levels of relationship to know how to respond based on your relationship. So throughout the whole book, I weave in this notion of if they're a tier one or two, then this is an appropriate way to express yourself or to show support. If you're a three or four, no, you aren't running right over to their house because that means that you don't know them as well or maybe even know them at all. And so there's boundaries, like healthy boundaries that we need to have. And so I tried to weave that throughout the whole thing so that people would know like, yeah, just to give people confidence and tools and actionable ways to say, I'm not going to sit on the sidelines anymore. When someone is in a deep, dark, hard place, I want to be the tangible love of Christ for them. That's so good, so helpful, so like you said, tangible. This, And I think people are looking for that. It's like just, all right, I want to know what to do. So, so, so helpful. Okay, so Sarah, that's the alongside book. Now right. let's talk about hard places. So, and I was going to kind of ask, well, what do you mean by hard places? But I think we've been talking about the hard places all along. So how how is this book, how is this different from alongside, or how is this a, an extension of that? Let's Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's what happened. I, you know, traveled and spoke and talked about alongside now for several years. The book came out two years ago. And most often I would get people at my book table in the back of the room and they would be one of two people. They would be the person that wanted to help their friend or neighbor. And they would say, oh my gosh, I, I want to help them, but they don't want to receive my help. Um, and, you know, I, so I just said, well, you know, here, the book will help you. They'll give you a lot of ways to take down the barriers and ways to make it easier, more palatable for them to accept your help. And, and you'll be doing tangible, practical things instead of just saying, hey, what can I do? And then them saying nothing. So that was the first person. It was the person that wanted to walk alongside a friend. But then the second person that came to my table was the person that said, it's me. I'm the person in the trial. And like, honestly, Nancy, I had no book for them, right? Because they can't really read alongside. It's not about them. It's about the right. person that wants to love them well. And it just made me realize I had this gaping hole, but I did have a lot of information because I have been through a lot of hard places myself. And I have interviewed countless people or heard them talking to me in the back of the room after a speaking event or at a women's conference. I mean, you know, just people share their story with me a lot. And I just felt like, ill-equipped to give them what I wanted to give them, which was hope. 
and practical tools for themselves and encouragement that it's not always going to be this hard. And so that was really where Hope in the Hard Places, the book, was born, is because it's for the other person in the equation, the person in the middle of the trial. Hard place, yes. So this book is for them. And as you said, this is about hope in the hard places. So now let's talk about hope because I think most people have thoughts about this word, even if they, maybe they've never like overtly thought about it before, but I think we all, we have a go-to place, right? when, When we hear that word. So I have two questions for you. The first question is, what do you mean when you say hope? And I'm going to save the, yeah, we'll stop there and then I'll save the okay. next question. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess for me, like in a, I guess in a secular uh, definition, I would say that for me, hope means that we believe that it's not always going to be this way, that it's going to get better. And that my life isn't always going to be the way it feels right now. Whether that's I have, I'm going through cancer treatment or I lost someone I love dearly or I'm struggling with anxiety, depression, you know, even suicidal thoughts. Um, the notion that you're going to get through it, that God is still good regardless of how difficult and hard and even tragic and crushing your circumstance is and that there it is not always going to be this way it will get better now i'm going to pause for a minute and just so keep your thought in mind all right there is situations where people are terminal and yet i still believe that there's hope because there is the hope in Christ for what is next. And this is not all that there is. So I still firmly believe that there is hope in any circumstance because either it's going to change and get better or it's going to change and get better, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I do know what you mean. And I think a lot of a lot of listeners listening to us right now, they know what we mean. Yeah, There's some people that may not really know what we mean maybe they've heard it you know oh yeah i've heard that kind of talk so i'm just going to ask you and i'm still holding on to the other question but let's go here um what what do you mean it's going to get better or it's going to get better well by it's going to get better i mean if you've lost a loved one you aren't always going to feel the way you feel today i mean i remember losing my brother and my dad and my best friend and when i lost my best friend ironically it hit me harder than when I lost my dad or my brother because I had walked with her through leukemia for five years. And I was the inner ring day to day involved in all of the nuances of her journey. And when she died, it was crushing. Yeah. And I ended up in the hospital, you know, months after she died with an anxiety attack, which I didn't know because I'd never had one before. And I lost my brother to heart disease, so they thought that I was having a heart attack. And in the end, they diagnosed it as an anxiety attack. And it was really because I had just stuffed my emotions, and I felt like I'm the friend. I'm not the, the sister, the husband, the child, the mother, so I don't have a right to like be as sad as they do. And I'm just going to keep pressing on. And But there was this ginormous gaping hole in my life. Yeah where I wasn't helping that person anymore. 
not only was I not helping her, but she was gone. My friend was gone. So it was just, but it didn't stay that crushing. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, I mean, and then the other kind of it will get better is that like I knew that my friend held out hope every second of her life that she would be cured in this lifetime, even to the very end. And but we always knew from the beginning that our hope was in eternity, in Christ, in the redemption of our souls, just in the, that most different and powerful way that doesn't even compare. And I'll never forget maybe about a year after she passed. Well, maybe it wasn't even that long, but I heard that Mercy Me song, I Can Only Imagine, Yeah. in the car one day driving home from driving my kids to school. And I just wept because I thought, oh, wow. Like, like I'm, I'm sad because she's not here today with me, but she's not sad. Right. 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 <laughs> and it just changed everything. Like, I was just a different kind of hopeful. Like, wow, this life isn't all there is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I'm so glad, even though I know you and I both knew what we were talking about, it's, it's helpful to articulate that. Yeah. Even, even for those who know, because we need to be reminded because there's there's very little about this life that doesn't scream, hey, you know, grab all you can because you only got one shot and this is yes. all. Right. But, and and we have to remind ourselves, no, this is right. not as as wonderful as life is. It's hard. It's hard. But, you know, we love life. This is not all there is. Everything is finite. And yet there is eternity. And that's what you're speaking about, the hope of eternity, the hope of real life, the hope of not just the end of pain, but but the joy of I would say you know, yeah. trusting yeah. in something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Trusting yeah. in something bigger than what we can grasp with our own hands, like you said. Yes. Yeah. The joy of life and life abundant, like Jesus yep. talked about. So, okay. So this is a good place. So now I'm going to circle back to part two or second question. So, all right. So we talked about, all right, there's, there's hope and what do you mean by you say that? But what would you say is the difference between hope and wishful thinking? Because mm. I think a lot of people get those things confused. Yes. Yeah. I would say that wishful thinking is focused on us and what we can achieve or what the world can do for us. You know, wishful thinking to me is, oh, I wish I could go to a vacation in Maui tomorrow. Um, but that would require, you know, people watching my kids or, you know, getting vacation for my job or being able to afford it. Or, you know, wishful thinking to me is is sort of something without a tangible plan even. Um, you know, we can daydream of wishful thinking. We don't have a goal or a means to achieve it. So we just sort of wishfully think it. And, and it's very different than putting our hope in something and there you know one of my favorite scriptures is that we have this hope as an anchor for our soul firm and secure oh yeah that's a good one and that's in hebrews 6:19 and for me that kind of hope is never going to waffle like the waves and there's tons of scriptures about hope and they talk about um i even in james and i won't get it right but i believe it's in james one and it talks about being swept by the waves and the wind and you know just not clinging to what's true. oh yeah 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 or the double-minded 
Yeah. Minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Yep. Right. And, and I, and it doesn't necessarily, I don't know, but it's talking about trials and persevering and being tested and, and following and living out our faith. Right. And so that to me means living out a plan. Like, what is my plan? Am I going to get up every day and, and, and do something to grow my faith? And so then we get this anchor for our soul, firm and secure, that nothing can shake that we believe in the one who made us and the one who is standing with us. And it doesn't, circumstances will not shake that kind of hope. It may move in the sand, the anchor may move, but it's not coming out, right? Because we have this hope in Jesus, not ourselves, not our earthly plans, not our job or our money or, you know, the people around us pleasing us or doing what we hope they'll do or acting the way we hope they'll act. We, people will always disappoint us, no matter how much we love them or how amazing they are. It's but, true. Yeah. I'm living proof of that, yeah. just in case, you know, if anybody's wondering. But yeah, yeah. But God but, does not yeah. disappoint. Yes. Yes and amen. So what what I hear you talking about, and actually even as you said it, this occurred to me as if for the first time in these words that it's not an escape from reality, right? So that's what that's what wishful thinking is. You right. know, it's like a daydream. You know, it's not escape from reality. It's actually clinging to reality, the greater reality. Yes. That's even more than what we can see. And um, you know, you brought up that great Hebrews scripture and it also reminds me there's another one in romans romans yes. 5 he says you know not only this yes. but we also we exult in our tribulations what knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance perseverance character and character hope and hope does, does not, not put us to shame yeah. <laughs> that's right that's right that's amazing that's like the law of I, I very i remember very little of like geometry but i remember that the law of syllogism right you know so uh that tribulation perseverance perseverance leads to character character leads to hope right which is amazing and i love it hope does not disappoint us because god's love has been poured out into our hearts yeah and yeah. there's another one that's my favorite. I mean, if people are really looking for hope today, I, that is where I find it, is in God's Word. And it's so interesting because I would say that alongside, and this is just a sidebar, but I, I think alongside is a little bit more of like a crossover book where it definitely does not deny my faith. And it's really, I mean, I have my testimony in it, and there's lots of ways that you see Christ throughout the book. But this book, I could not... Absolutely, there was no way I could separate hope from Christ. And so it's way more of that than the first book. You know, even though I tried to really put practical things in it, there's just a lot of Christ in the second book, more so than the first, if that makes sense. Well, I got to tell you, I just wrote that line down that you said there was no way to separate hope from Christ. And yes. I, I think that kind of says it all right there. And it's not not even to be trite, but that's, that is the bottom line because we're talking about things that are real, the difference between wishing yeah, and dreaming yeah. and hoping in something that's that is real even more real than than what our eyes can see and what our ears can hear right no eye has seen and no ear has heard no mind has conceived the things that god has prepared and those are the things that we put our hope in right. um there is there is real as gravity which we also can't see but we feel right. the effects right it's real as sunlight as real as the wind and all these things that maybe we can't see 
but that are real. Um, so, Sarah, we have just a couple minutes left here, and there's there's still way more that I want to talk about. But I, <laughs> I wanna I wanna kind of land here because you know, like I said, people are listening to us right now, and we have to assume at least some of them are going through some really hard things. Right. Um, so. What do you have to say to someone who's in a really hard place who's listening right now? Mm. Well, I want to make sure I finish saying the verse that I forgot to say. Oh, yeah. It's a favorite. Nope. And it has to do with what I would say to someone. So it works out well. But it basically, it's Romans 15, 13. And it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what I take out of that is that to get hope, to get more hope, we do have to trust God, that we will overflow when we trust that he's going to be the one that fills us. And and that feels a little helpless sometimes. It feels like, well, what's my part? What do I do? How do I, you know, how do I help myself? And, and there's, there's lots of practical things I've incorporated into the book, but I've, several of them that really help are clinging to who you are in Christ, like remembering who you are aside from your circumstance, from your present hardship, remembering that you're loved and chosen and cherished by God and that he's not finished yet. And just there's a whole list of them in the book. Um, but then I also really want to tell people that God is not afraid of your why, your why me, your why my child, why my life, why so many things happening to one person. He's totally not afraid of your why. The Psalms are filled with people pouring out their why me, why this, why my enemies all over me, like David, you know, why am I so downcast? Why is there so much pain in my life? And I really think that I, if I could do anything, I just want to give people permission to express their why to God, that he isn't afraid. It doesn't make you a bad Christian to ask that question. And it's okay to wrestle with that. But in the end, I believe that you will come to a place when you feel a freedom to share with God your deepest, hardest, worst thoughts, that you will start to feel a lightness and a difference after you do that. Because when we bring what's in the dark out into the light, then God can have his way with it. Mm, So important. So important. So cling to who you are. Don't be afraid to ask God why. Yeah. And, and then there's, you know, one other little thing, it's not even little, but I've really been clinging to this for my own self and in some situations that I'm praying through with friends. And it's this little phrase called, even if, and even if the very worst possible situation could happen, you're still going to be okay. As long as you're clinging to God, you're still going to be okay. Yeah, and you know, of course, what that reminds me of, and maybe this is, maybe you go here too, but that that story about the boys that were about to be thrown in the fire, mm. and you know, the King Nebuchadnezzar back in the day, you know, he's like, okay, you're done, and they gave them the chance to recant their faith, right? Right. Like, no, we're not going to do it because we know God's faithful, and we're not afraid. But even if this doesn't turn out the way we think, 
we're still not going to do it because we trust God. Right. Because right. he's good. And I'm paraphrasing, but that was yes. the essence. Yes. That was yes. my takeaway. Yes. 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 yes, good. Yes, I love it. So true. So true. Yeah, even yeah. if the worst thing. And sometimes the worst case scenario, I play out, I, I make it so much bigger in my head than ever the reality becomes. <laughs> oh, you too? I thought it was just me. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure we have a few friends that are listening that would also agree. I'm, you know what, I'm pretty sure about that too. And what the beautiful thing is, to me, this circles back to what you said earlier, that it's either going to get better or it's going to get better. Either way, there is hope. So, Sarah, oh my gosh, I just can't thank you enough for this conversation and for writing this book. And I just want to... Um, I want to tell people now how, so I know it comes out March, March 5th, Correct. in March, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they got some time. They could pre-order it, right? Even you now. Bet. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So how, how can they do this? How can they find you? Uh, so if they go to Sarah Beckman, B-E-C-K-M-A-N dot org, they will be able to find information about both the books and um, and then Amazon has both books also available, but you can always find any information, my blog and all the different things on sarahbeckman.org. Awesome. Yes. And I highly recommend checking that out because I did. And it's, it's a great site. There's all kinds of good blog inform, uh, blog information, blog <laughs> posts and information. We didn't even get to talk about this. Maybe some other time we could have you back to talk about healing Haiti and mercy chefs. So I'll just throw that out as a teaser. Yes. Um, they the really cool, really cool um, efforts to help people who are going through hard things. Yeah, I just really can't. Um, I feel like I can't write a book about it and not live it. And I wrote the book because I live it. And and I just have found some really sweet, amazing opportunities to love people in their hard places. And I think we just have to be willing, as the friend, to be willing to enter in. And that kind of goes to the beginning of our conversation today about why do we stay away? And and part of it is that we just have to trust that God's with us and that we can enter in into the hardship and the pain, and he's going to be right there with us when we do. Yeah, and when you say it like that, it just sounds so simple, doesn't it? And, you know, and simple doesn't mean easy. Sometimes it's That's risky right. and it's hard, but, um, but in the end, it's... It's not in our strength. It's not according to our power. It's it's something even realer than the realest thing we can think of. Yes. So, so, Sarah, thank you so much. It was just such a pleasure having you here on the aisle today. Thank you. My pleasure, too. Now, I'm not going to tell you what your takeaway should be, but I'll tell you mine. It's either going to get better or it's going to get better. And I really believe that. And I hope you do, too, because it's not just pie in the sky. But if you don't believe it, I'm still really glad you're sticking with us here and hanging out. I would love to hear from you. In fact, I'm not afraid of your hard questions either. Doesn't mean I have a pat answer for you. I hate pat answers anyway. But what's a misfit aisle about, really, if we can't find a safe place in our hard times with our hard questions? And speaking of, I'm so glad we have this tool in Sarah Beckman's book, Hope in the Hard Places. Now, if you're going through a hard time or know someone who is, and I guess that really covers just about everyone, I highly recommend you checking it out. You can find it at sarahbeckman.org. And of course, you can check me out at Isle of Misfits, I-S-L-E of Misfits.com, where you can write me with those hard questions. Or let me know what you're thinking or even how I can pray for you. And yes, I really will pray for you. So whether I hear from you or not, keep owning your beautiful awkward. 
loving all the beautiful misfits. And keep your eyes open for all the beauty and truth surrounding you.